Are you ready for the most ridiculous internet sports show you have ever seen? Welcome to React, home of the most outrageous and hilarious videos the web has to offer. So join me, Rocky Theus, and my co-host, Raiders Pro Bowl defensive end, Max Crosby, as we invite your favorite athletes, celebrities, influencers, entertainers in for an episode of games, laughs, and of course, the funniest reactions to the wildest web clips out there. Catch Reacts on YouTube, and that is Reacts, R-E-A-X-X. Don't miss it. This podcast episode is brought to you by Coors Light. These days, everything is go, go, go. It's nonstop hustle all the time. Work, friends, family expect you to be on 24-7. Well, sometimes you just need to reach for a Coors Light because it's made to chill. Coors Light is cold lagered, cold filtered, and cold packaged. It's as crisp and refreshing as the Colorado Rockies. It is literally made to chill. Coors Light is the one I choose when I need to unwind. So when you want to hit reset, reach for the beer that's made to chill. Get Coors Light in the new look delivered straight to your door with Drizzly or Instacart. Celebrate responsibly. Coors Brewing Company, Golden, Colorado. Regressing to the mean since 2015, it's the Hockey Pediocast. With your host, Dmitry Filipovich. Cast. My name is Mitch Filipovich, and joining me is my good buddy Dom Lushishin. Dom, what's going on, man? It's another Dim Plus Dom production. Not too much. Just excited to finally watch some playoff hockey and in a month or so see some new matchups. Hmm. Yes. Well, we're not going to talk about playoffs today. We're actually mm-hmm. going to put a bow on the regular season. Because the plan is to, and listen, like you're going to have, you already have some playoff previews up at the athletic. Mm-hmm. I'm going to have playoff previews coming on the podcast over the next couple of days. I thought we could put a bow on, on the regular season by working our way through our awards ballots and kind of talking out our, our rationale and our opinions. And I don't have one this year because of the reshuffling of the uh, Pro Hockey Writers Association and mm-hmm. how they're distributing the awards. You do though. So it's a nice little preview of what's to come. And, uh, and so yeah, we're going to do all the big awards. And we're going to try to have a bit of fun with it and uh, and go from there. So how does that sound to you? Uh, it sounds good. I'm always excited to talk awards, uh, even though sometimes it can lead me into some hot water. I feel like there's not going to be anything super controversial this season. Although maybe let's wait till the uh, <laughs> till the Norris Trophy before we get into that. But yeah, let's start with the Calder because it's about first year players. It's the first on our list. Um, I think it's pretty clear that there's a one-two that distinguish themselves. And I kind of wanted to save them until the back half of this conversation because I, I thought it would make more sense to kind of start off with who we have considerations and vying for, for that third spot on the, on the finalist ballot. So um, let, let, let's start there and let's go from there. Who, what are some of the names that you're considering for third on that list? I don't know if uh, it's too much of a contest for me. Uh, there are a lot of rookies, but not a lot of them, I guess, stood out from the pack. I think in recent years, there's been a a few, like you think to last year, there was a a lot of rookies that got some consideration. But this year, you have the main two, and then you have a, a long list of rookies that were okay, they maybe scored a bit, but a lot of them didn't really drive play or they got outscored at five on five. I mean, if you look at the rookie leaderboard for scoring, you have the top two who were in the green and then the next like 20 rookies just got outscored at five on five. And I think that has sort of made it a bit of a mixed bag for the back half of the ballot. But I think the number three guy for me despite the lack of games played, was Alex Delkovich from Carolina. Yep. I've got him as third on my list as well. First off, good Serbian lad. I have to mm-hmm. give him some respect there. <laughs> um, 
led the Hurricanes actually by the end of the season in goalie games, just uh, managed to finally leapfrog James Reimer there. And, you know, part of that was, I'm assuming, on their part, uh, getting him to the threshold where he'd re- retain RFA status as opposed to becoming a UFA this summer. Uh, and we'll see if he's going to be their playoff starter moving forward or whether Petr Mrazek will get that role. But yeah, he, he had some pretty crazy numbers, right? Like he had a 945 save percentage at 5 on 5, which was tied for first with Soros, 932 save percentage overall, which was the best. Plus 12.9 goal save above expected, which is behind only Marc Andre Fleury. Uh, the issue for me is partly, yeah, he only played 23 games. And also, I don't know what to make of the fact that Petr Mrazek in half of those games had equally ridiculous results. Like, mm-hmm. there's some models that have the two of them as like two of the best five goalies this season, which, <laughs> you know, it's, it's obviously a small sample. So that's going to be partly due to it and, and the Hurricanes were obviously a very good team but it does kind of make you think about like how much credit we should be giving him for the ridiculous numbers he does have yeah it is definitely a fair thing to consider uh, you look at his comparison to Mrazic and they were just both so phenomenal that it is really hard to say how much is him and how much is the team but at the same time you look at James Reimer's numbers and they are horrific and there's a clear divide between ned mrazic and reimer where i don't think mrazic also being good should discount how strong ned is as well and he may not have played a lot of games but what he did in those games was incredibly impactful and i think also the the story around him considering he was available for free on waivers earlier this season and didn't have the strongest numbers going in from the brief time he has spent in the NHL and sort of just seized the net in Carolina. Goalies. Can't live with them, can't live without them. <laughs> yeah. What, what, a, what a story. No, you're right. And, uh, and certainly just if you're viewing it from the perspective of like value added to his team as a rookie, I mm-hmm. think he's very firmly in this top three. I wanted to give Josh Norris a little bit of love. He's one of the rookies that you were mentioning there that uh got outscored while he was on the ice but he was third in rookie scoring and i do think in terms of degree of difficulty uh being the number one's the number one center basically on his team and putting up pretty good underlying numbers even defensively uh all things considered is is certainly like a check in his favor um playing with brady kachuk for a lot of those minutes helps in terms of the high danger totals and the expected goal stuff because he's just an absolute freak when it comes to driving those but um Josh Norris had a really good year as well. And I know Senators fans are going to be listening to this clinging for some hope. So uh, I wanted to throw them a bit of a, a life raft here as well in terms of the season Josh Norris had. Yeah. Yeah. He had a great one. He had strong underlying numbers. He was third in scoring. I think yep. he's definitely the next guy and he might even end up on some ballots because some people won't feel comfortable with how many games Ned started. But I think as long as it's not to, I guess, be mean to Sanders fans, but I I wasn't too impressed with Tim Stutzel's season at, from a five on five perspective. So I'd rather take Norris. And as long as it's not Stutzel, I'm okay with a Sens rookie on the ballot. Yeah, yeah, he had he had the better rookie year this year for sure. Um, mm-hmm. Okay, let's get into the top two then. Do you do you want to start talking about Caprizov? Do you want to start talking about Robertson? How you uh, how you grade the two of them? You can take it any way you want. I think it was really funny that for one week people were like. Is there a is there a contest for the Calder Trophy? Is Jason Robertson maybe sneaking into this race, maybe taking over? And then Kaprizov said, "No, that's not happening, folks. I'm just gonna elevate my game even further and make it unquestionable that I'm the best rookie this season." Uh, in terms of total value, I have Kaprizov 15th in the entire league, and. Just watching him is such a treat. And as you know, I've watched a fair bit of Minnesota Wild games this year. And thankfully, he was a big part of what made the team so exciting. And while I'm not too keen on the narrative that he's the reason they had such a good team, they had better goaltending this year, I think was a lot more important. But he is just so captivating, so electric, and such a dynamic player that I don't see how I can go to anyone but him this year. Yeah, I think it's amazing and a testament to the run Robertson was on that you were alluding mm-hmm. to there that he even made this race as like a legitimate conversation 
for mm-hmm. a while there, uh, considering that he started the year basically playing four or five minutes and had two goals in his first 12 games. I did a, a big deep dive of the season with Sean Shapiro recently, so I think people should just go and listen to that rather than me regurgitating all of it. But just some of my favorite Robertson stats before we get to Kaprizov. So from March 1st on, he had 27 5 on 5 points, which was behind only Connor McDavid. He had 39 points in 40 games, which was the 30th, uh, 13th best total. With him on ice at 5 on 5, the Stars scored 3.6 goals per 60. Uh, everyone else, he was ninth overall. Everyone else in the top 10 plays for either Vegas, Edmonton, or Colorado. Uh, the Stars as a team were 24th overall at 5 on 5 scoring. So the fact that, you know, the contextually he did that on this team is pretty remarkable. And my favorite stat to describe him is, Using, uh, in stats, uh, tracking, uh, you know, proprietary data, they have him down for 18 stick handling events this season in terms of him trying to do stuff on the move with the puck. For context, Kirill Kaprizov had 106 of them. Connor McDavid has 201. And the only reason I bring that up is just, uh, I think the NHL actually tweeted out a, like a, a mix of Jason Robertson highlights. And it's basically him just causing havoc around the net and like cleaning stuff up and converting on opportunities in tight. And there's nothing wrong with that. Im- immensely useful, uh, very effective. Uh, the stars desperately needed it. Him and Rupe Hintz are basically their sole, um, drivers of offense for the second half of the season. But it, I just wanted to kind of describe it for anyone that necessarily didn't watch Jason Robertson. It perfectly kind of exemplifies the way he played and just how different stylistically he was than Kaprizov in terms of the puck carrying and sort of how they how they gener- generated their offense. Was was Deeks not available as a name for this stat? <laughs> it's it's just stick handling, man. I don't know. I don't stick I don't, handling events. I don't I don't make the rules. I mean they didn't even have take <laughs> takeaways. They have uh, puck recoveries. So mm-hmm. um but yeah no I, I like it. I I think it's a it's a fun one. Um with Kaprizov I don't know where you stand on this. I really do not care that he's about to turn 24 and has years of no. pro experience. He, what he accomplished this year is insane. He made the leap to North America with years of hype and expectations and immense pressure. He gave the Minnesota Wild organization an entire facelift. I know, as, as you said, the primary difference between this year and last year for them is the fact that they went from 29th in team save percentage to eighth, but just stylistically entertainment perspective, people like you and I tuning in and watching all of their games every night. His value was just unparalleled in that in that regard. Burst onto the scene with an overtime winner and three points in his debut. Carried it all the way through, has eleven goals in his last twelve games, including a bunch of clutch ones. It just you go on down the line, his production, all things considered, is remarkable regardless of age and playing experience. And he was very clearly the best first year NHL player in the league this year. Very clearly. And I think it's just amazing that there was so much hype around him and he somehow surpassed it i think that's the craziest part for me it's it's remarkable plus 17 penalty differential only behind Connor mcdavid and Braden point just lugging around victor rask all season (laughs) just what he did contextually is 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 truly stunning like his point totals could have been even significantly higher if he had better teammates so um yeah I, i think we're definitely in agreement there let's uh let's move on i got the vezina next year on our list um, I don't know. Uh, it's go, goalies, man. Um, how do we, so, so give me, give me your top three or actually give me the names you would consider here and it can be any number of guys. This one's funny because for like 90% of the season, I think we both thought that Vasilevsky was running away with this. And over the last month, he's been kind of bad and I think his numbers have sort of regressed a bit from where they were to start, and he didn't end, even end up leading the league in goal saved above expected like he was for the majority of the year. So it's a weird one from that context, but there, there's three main ones for me, and then after that it gets a bit tricky. Mm-hmm. Um, I think at the top, Vasilevsky, Marc-Andre Fleury, Connor Hellbuck, they all have a pretty strong case, and I'd probably go in that order. And then after that, I think I'd have UC Saros for just how much he literally carried the national predators down the stretch was amazing. They looked like they were DOA and now they're in the playoffs and that's has a lot to do with him. And the last one for me is Mike Smith because I love it. I, I, no one thought this could have happened. No one 
saw Edmonton re-sign Mike Smith and say, yeah, that's the answer. And he absolutely was the answer. And he had a great season. He deserves a lot of credit for it. It's it's so out of left field that you can't even like dunk on people about it. You can't be like, oh, wow, he's proving all the haters wrong. It's like there, there weren't <laughs> haters. They were just realists looking at his performance over the past couple of years. And there was no signs to suggest this was coming. He's been fantastic this season. Hasn't even really had any like blow up performances where you're like, oh God, he looks unplayable out there. Like he's been, he's been good. He's very surprisingly solid. And uh, yeah, you're right. It, it, it's funny. I think the name, not going to be in the top three, but definitely deserving of recognition of the season he's having. For Vasilevsky, you know, you mentioned the, the word context there. And I do think it is important because he played like 39 of the team's first 50 games or something like that. Mm-hmm. And I certainly think that was very aggressive. And if there was one goalie physically, who could pull it off because he's just the machine. It was him. But I do think that is certainly related to this. And, you know, his total numbers look worse than they probably are. If you consider the fact that his final two games in particular, where they weren't really even dressing like even half of their regular decor, uh, he gave up nine goals total in these last two games to the Panthers. So, you know, still for the year, 925 save percentage plus 12 goals saved above expected. Carried them for, for like a large stretch of the year. He had like a 940 save percentage and was making the Lightning look significantly better than they actually were by any other metric. So I still have a tough time moving on from him just because I feel like mm-hmm. he was the best goalie I watched play this season. But Flurry legitimately has a, has a statistical argument right now in terms of just being better across the board in terms of the final numbers. Yeah, I agree. Uh, and there's another one in the same vein as Smith where Vegas could not give Flurry away. They couldn't attach picks to Flurry to give him away. And what does Flurry do? He leads them to this incredible season where he plays some of the best hockey of his career and has this legitimate case for the Vesna where with how Vasilevsky ended the season, I, I'm not sure he's a guarantee anymore and it might genuinely come down to those two uh it's kind of funny because vasilevsky was so good in net that there was legitimate talk about him as a heart trophy nominee for Mm -hmm. a lot of the season and now that sort of went by the wayside with how he's finished where now not even the vesna is a a guarantee anymore no no it's certainly up for grabs and i think flurry's gonna get a lot of uh gonna, gonna get a lot of sort of like sentimental votes I think as well, because it is obviously a great story and, and, and he's sort of a, you know, a, a league wide favorite, but it, the numbers back up the performance this year. It's not like one of those things where you're trying to jam a square peg into a round hole and be like, Oh, well, we like this guy. So let's give him some love. Like the, the numbers certainly back it up. Um, yeah, the, the Soros one is interesting for me. I'm really curious to see how much Vesna love he does get from voters because. His final 25 games from February 27th on, I don't know, what was the lowest uh, playoff probability the Predators were at all year in terms of your model? I literally had them at 2%. So it was stunning to see them pull it off. And I remember at the time when they started winning, I'm like, I think I have them a little too low. And I noticed that there were some injuries they had that I was a little too aggressive on and they started coming back. So... 2% 2% was probably overselling just how dire the situation was. But at the same time, I don't think their chances were above 10% at the time. So it's one of the more shocking playoff comebacks in a long time. And Saros was basically 90% of the reason, I think. Yeah, 46 total goals against in those 25 games, a 943 save percentage, <laughs> just uh, obscene, 118 of them. And, you know, good for him. He's someone who we've been waiting for years to... Uh, take the, the crease in Nashville and sort of, he's steadily year over year had his workload increased. Now it looks like Pecorini is going to be retiring. They're at a really interesting spot organizationally because they spent this high draft pick on Yaroslav Askarov in last year's draft. Saros is, I think, an RFA this year and he's like 26 years old. So they're at a real crossroads moment in terms of how much they commit to him, what the future looks like for, for both the team and for him and net. And based on these games, like he looks amazing. And, and one of the few goalies that's legitimately fun to watch, it's because he is smaller, so he compensates for it by just being like insanely quick and just bouncing around and making all of these wild saves. And I don't think anyone's necessarily expecting him to keep saving nine, 94 plus percent of the shots he faces, but it's, uh, it's quite a run. And, and anyone that was waiting for him to fall off during that stretch was, uh, was sorely disappointed because he just kept stacking up incredible game after incredible game. Yeah. 
And that's scary for Carolina, who now has to face him in the first round. I, as much as Saros has really taken, making a name for himself this year, I think what's funny is that he did this last year too. Mm -hmm. He had this awful start to the season and then March came along and he was the best goalie in the league. I don't know what it is about March, but Saros is Mr. March at this point. He just turns it on and becomes unstoppable. Maybe he just loves the springtime energy. I'm not sure, but I I don't get it because this happened last year. And that's why when Nashville drafted Askarov, I remember a lot of people saying, oh, they need a goalie. And I was thinking they have Saros. He's really good. I don't quite understand, but go off, I guess. And here we are a year later and Saros went off. And I think he, considering his age, can be a strong goalie for a long time. Yeah. Fan- he's been so good. And uh, and I'm curious to see what and uh, the future, both the immediate future and the years to down the road look like for him. Um, all right. Let's do, uh, let's do the Selkie next. Um, I'd recommend that anyone listening to this goes reads uh, Shana Goldman's piece on it on Athletic because I thought she did a really, really mm-hmm. good job uh, in terms of thoughtfully kind of just considering all the angles of what this award should be and how we should contextualize it and think about it. I still, like, I, I, I imagine you feel the same way. I still struggle about it just because uh, most of the, the best options by the metrics are these low event, event wingers who, um, you know, nothing's really happening when they're on the ice. And I guess that is good defense, but it's significantly easier to do than being a number one, uh, either winger or center who's constantly like having to create as well and, and juggle all of those responsibilities. And I think they're two entirely different beasts. So I don't want to just have this be like an, a, a total hipster thing where we're like, Oh, these three third line wingers <laughs> have actually been the best defensive players in the league this season. Cause I don't think that is the spirit of the award. But at the same time, I struggle with the idea that a player who, um, has been good defensively. They need to wait their turn and put up more points before we consider them to be impactful defensively. So juggling all of those things makes this a really difficult one for me. I I actually don't struggle with this that much. I think I, I see the people saying that these third liners should win the Selkie and it just feels very condescending to the coaches actually putting these players on the ice. Because if they were these elite defensive behemoths, they probably would not be playing 13 minutes per night. And it was just the assumption that all these coaches are morons, I it just doesn't sit well with me. When I think of the Selkie, I generally have a, a time on ice cutoff. And anyone below that, I just, I honestly, I don't consider. I'm not going to bother with the argument. And that has led me to some stronger names who take on tougher minutes and can be trusted in those minutes because a lot of times with these players on third lines is they don't play as often against top lines. Obviously there's the whole quality of competition thing that is always controversial in the analyst community. But even if people mostly agree that it's overstated, it still matters to an extent because there are legitimate differences. And I think that needs to be accounted for when we're looking at the Selkie award. Well, I, I think the, the responsibilities of the player needs to be considered, not even necessarily from the perspective of quality competition or quality of teammates. It's like what they're being asked to do, like a third line winger who's playing 12 to 14 minutes a night. Uh, their team will be happy if they go out there and keep the puck along the boards and nothing happens. And then they get off the ice and then the best players come on and try to score. But if you're a top line player who's playing a ton and your team relies on you to drive offense and do everything, if that's all that's happening when you're on the ice, your team is going to wind up losing. And so I, I just think you can't even really compare the two because they're just, uh, you know, the, the list of responsibilities is so wildly different that it's almost like they're playing two different sports. Yeah. Yeah. I think the responsibility angle is an important one because it's also harder to play defense when you have to worry about everything else on top of that. And I think that's what has made Barkov's season so special this year is he literally has to do it all. And that makes playing defense a little harder and he still 
performed admirably well in this role where he has to do everything. He did. So give me the considerations then that you're, that you're considering after your, uh, after you apply your time on ice cutoff. Like who are you really legitimately, um, you're either your top three or top five or whatever. I think the, one of the considerations that does keep me up is whether the player should play on the penalty kill. And I want to know what you think about that because there are a few players this season where they have some really strong defensive numbers. They play top minutes every night and some of them are superstar players who have these elite defensive results, but because you don't want to waste that player's time on the penalty kill, they just don't play on the penalty kill. So what do you make of that? Should a player have to have that responsibility to be eligible for this award or not? Well, I don't think the way I, I view it is I don't think it should preclude the player from being up for consideration or even winning the award. I think it's a nice luxury. And, and I will say that uh, I actually wrote about this today for Early Prospects, but I, I love teams that use basically like a combination of two of their top line forwards to, to kill penalties because it provides you such an advantage where you're typically when you, as soon as you recover the puck, you're going in transition against generally most teams are using four forwards and none of them know how to skate backwards or defend. And so you have a great opportunity to create something yourself. And I, I just think in terms of the modernization of the game, like for teams to be wasting two minutes at a time, just basically being like, okay, we're going to put these big lumbering guys out there to stand in front of our net and try to block shots as opposed to trying to aggressively retrieve the puck and actually create ourselves, they're doing themselves a disservice. So whether it's Carolina with Aho and HS or whether it's Vegas with Mark Stone and Chandler Stevenson or, or the Bruins with Bergeron and Marshawn, like I love when teams are using their top players. I get the risks associated with it in terms of you're exposing them to potentially having to block shots and breaking a bone or getting injured. Or if you have them at a time cut off, you don't want to be wasting a bunch of it on opportunities where they're going to be less likely to score. But I, I'd like to see every team start using their top players to kill penalties because I do think it's kind of this hidden advantage of, you know, optimizing those minutes compared to how uh, others are using them. Yeah, for sure. I, I think it's just a matter of leverage and whether you want, for example, because there are two players I'm considering, do you want Matthews and McKinnon to be playing two minutes of penalty killing time night, or do you want those minutes reserved for five on five, five on four time when you have players who are already capable of killing penalties? Mm. I think that's the question for me. And that sort of makes me wonder whether those two should be up for this award because Matthews and McKinnon legitimately had one of the strongest defensive impacts this season, which is a little bit unusual for two offensive superstars, but Whenever they were on the ice, they both controlled play to an insane degree, and they're both smart enough to get the puck back into the defensive zone and make an impact in that way that I think they are worthy of consideration whether they make it onto many ballots or not. Um, the thing is, is like everyone on the Avs has strong defensive impact. Yeah, yeah, yeah. That is the other thing, and it's sort of the same with the Leafs where because they play the North Division where no one was nearly as good as them, a lot of players on the Leafs have strong defensive impacts and you wonder whether they're actually good defensively or whether the team is just strong enough that they just always have the puck. Okay, so stop stalling. Give me give me your considerations. <laughs> give me, give uh, me the short list. The short list, I think, right now for me is uh, Barkov, Pavelski, and uh, Joel Eriksson-Eck. I think that's my top three. Yeah, I think that that is right. I really... It's tough because... I think Mark Stone this year proportionally more of his value was driven by his offense. Mm -hmm. Uh, so this wasn't the year to, to give him the Selkie. If, if you wanted to dog yourself into it just because he's been deserving of significantly more consideration in the past, I'm not going to be mad at it because he is a complete badass and no one does cooler things defensively he does. And in terms of your question of should top players be killing penalties, he played 70 four on five minutes this season and the Knights played opposing power plays to a 1-1 draw in those minutes, uh, which is one of my favorite stats. Just such a beast. Um, Barkov, his numbers did slip a bit defensively from yeah. his amazing start. At the same time, I love this glow up for him in terms of where he was at last year. And then compared to even his final totals this year, he basically cut off a sizable chunk of 
shots against, expected goals against, high danger attempts against, uh, which was a big driver for Florida's success this season. And despite the drop off, I do still think he had sort of the most impactful two way season considering all of those things. Yeah. And the thing with Barkov and Stone, um, is how people look at this award and whether this is a defensive forward award or a two way forward award. And the strict definition is defensive forward, but that's not how most people vote. And that makes it a bit tougher to sort of narrow down a list. And it's the, that's the one reason I don't, I didn't consider stone as much as that top three that I had. Um, I do think Erickson Eck has had a strong defensive season for the while. I've been being the drum on that for a while and he's stayed consistent in that regard all season, even when the wild were struggling a bit and Pavelski, he doesn't kill penalties the same degree as Barkov or Eriksson or other top forwards eligible for this award, but he doesn't not kill them. He still is out there sometimes and his defensive impacts this season were incredible that I think he, he needs to be on the ballot and finally get some credit for his defensive ability because he's been a top two way forward for a long time now. And he's never really gotten, I guess, been put in the spotlight for that. Yep. Yeah. The Joel Erickson Eck one's funny because, uh, you know, he's been doing this for a while. His underlying uh, numbers in terms of like five on five on ice shares are preposterous. But, you know, this year he goes from six goals, seven goals, eight goals the past three years. Now it's 19 and 54 games. Uh, and, and I think he's going to get more love for it accordingly, which speaks to what we were talking about earlier. But now uh, I was looking at it in the wild sneakily. We talked about Kaprizov, now Joel Erickson Eck, Kevin Fiala. Their three best forwards are all up for new contracts this year. So I'm not sure how the Minnesota Wild as an organization are feeling about the fact that, that you're talking up Joel Erickson Eck for Selkie, <laughs> but, um, I guess it's a good problem to have because he's finally getting recognition for his performance and, uh, he's a really, really good player. Yeah. Yeah, for sure. And I, I don't think that's the, the last Minnesota Wild person we'll be talking about on this podcast either. Mm, okay. We'll see. Uh, we'll see about that. Uh, let's do one more award here, a quick one before we take a break. The Lady Bing. I sprung this one on you because usually when I do these shows, I don't even consider this one because it's such a dumb award. The definition is so nebulous as writers and broadcasters and everything. We shouldn't even be voting because who knows? Like we're not equipped to, to judge who the most gentlemanly quote unquote player is, whatever that means. Um, but I, I have two takes on this award though. One, if Jacob Slavin doesn't win this year, mm-hmm. it's going to be a complete an utter disaster. I, I don't care about this award, but I do care about Jacob Slavin winning it because it's just insane that a defenseman hasn't won for this long. And we tend to just solely look at basically penalty minutes for this award as determining who the most gentlemanly player is. And for him to have played 1,200 total minutes this season and taken one penalty, which was for accidentally shooting the puck over the glass, despite playing against other teams' best players all the time, is about as impressive as you're going to get, all things considered. And so for me, he was very clearly based on that definition, uh, which is loose, albeit uh, the most quote-unquote gentlemanly player. If Jacob Slavin does not win this award, which I normally would not care about but would if he loses, me and you will meet up in New York and start a formal protest in front of the NHL offices because it is warranted. Because we all look at penalty minutes for this award because we don't know any better, and there he is firing the puck over the glass literally one time. And I just, I'm looking at the rest of the list in terms of penalties and like, okay, like William Carlson, Johnny Gaudreau, sure, why not? But I just, I don't know how you don't give this to Slavin. For, he, for, like, for, according to Sarah Sivian, he wants this award. <laughs> the fact he wants this award is the most gentlemanly thing I've ever heard in my life. No one wants this award, but Jacob Slavin does. He needs to start campaigning for it. He needs to start like going on podcasts to talk about why he thinks he should win it. And just start a platform, Jacob Slavin, for for... <laughs> for Lady Bing. Yeah, I mean, for like, listen, for William Carlson to, to take as few penalties as he, as he does, great. It's valuable for sure for his team. But what he has to do on a nightly basis in terms of who he's playing against, how much he's playing, how much he's out there, what he's exposed to compared to Jacob Slavin is just completely apples and oranges. And for Slavin to do what he does is just so wild. My other note on this was I just find it so freaking funny that last year's winner of this award tossed the helmet at an opponent this season and... <laughs> Result. Champions aren't born, they're made. And the secret to make your business reign supreme? Shopify, the all-in-one commerce platform to start, run, and grow your business. 
Forget the off-season work. Shopify makes it simple to sell to anyone from anywhere. Whether you're selling warm-ups or wall hangers, it's time to start selling with Shopify and join the platform simplifying commerce for millions of businesses worldwide. With Shopify, you'll customize your online store to your brand, discover new customers, and build the relationships that create die-hard fans. Shopify fields all the sales channels to grow a winning business from an in-person POS system to an all-in-one e-commerce platform, even across social media platforms like TikTok, Facebook, and Instagram. Shopify is a secret to becoming a business champion by making it simple for anyone to sell their products anywhere, taking the guesswork out of selling. When you're ready to take your winning idea to the world, team up with Shopify, the commerce platform powering millions of businesses down the street and around the globe. Sign up for a free trial at shopify.com slash bluewire, all lowercase. Go to shopify.com slash bluewire to start selling online today. Shopify.com slash bluewire. Did an arguably the funniest three-second video that's emanated from this NHL season, and it just shows what a dumb award this is. Not that Nathan McKinnon is not gentlemanly, but I just love that he was last year's Lady Bing winner, and... He did that, which was amazing, and I'm, I'm all for it, and I think you should do it again. But it was just really funny to think about in that context. I hope it becomes a, a Lady Bing tradition where Slavin wins, and next year he throws like an elbow pad at someone. No, man. Slavin's not going to risk getting a misconduct. That <laughs> 10 pins? Are you crazy? That's going to drive him crazy. That's going to keep him up all night, all year. He's not going to do that. Uh, it's way too risky. Um, all right, Dom, let's take a quick break here to hear from a sponsor, and then we're going to finish up with all the uh, all the big main awards. Mm-hmm. All right. Um, let's do the Jack Adams and then we'll save the Norris and the Hart, uh, for the end. So for the Jack Adams, um, I considered four people here. I thought two of them were pretty clearly head and shoulders above the pack, but I'm very curious to see, uh, how you approached it because similarly, it is a very tricky award, uh, because typically we just voters seem to, just sort by PDO and pick the person at the top of the list because their team exceeded our preseason expectations. And sometimes it's warranted. Uh, other times it's very luck driven and doesn't necessarily show us that that coach was the best coach in the world. Might have just been fortunate. Um, but how are you approaching this one and sort of who do you consider for it? Uh, Michael Russo asked me about this as well. And I think usually the expectation, it's, you're looking at what was expected of the team and what they did. And that sort of does correlate with PDO, but this is really a which team we expected to not be as good that was, that turned out that way. And all of my candidates, I guess some of them were expected to be pretty good, but just not this good. And they exceeded expectations the most. Uh, for me, I think there's a clear top three and that would be, uh, Rob the Bod from Carolina, um, Gina Basin in Minnesota, and Joel Quenville for Florida. Okay. I mean, Dean Evison, so the Wild were first in PDO this season. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah, he... I mean, if you're viewing it as an organizational award, then sure, convincing Kirill Kaprizov to come over and signing Cam Talbot were both very good moves. Um, but beyond that, I, I, I'd be curious. Not, not that he did a poor job this season and obviously they exceeded expectations. I'm just curious what we can specifically point to that he did significantly differently than last season, let's say, that that drove these results that they got. To be honest, I, I'm not sure. I, I literally went by which team exceeded expectations most. And a lot of it might be on goaltending. Some of it might be on Kaprizov. For large stretch of the season, the Minnesota power play was completely terrible. And it fixed itself at some point, so maybe that was him. But I I think he will get some love for this award just based on the fact that no one thought Minnesota would be this good. And I'm obviously a Minnesota Wild homer, so that's we that part. Well, you should have led with that. I, I mm-hmm. Let me give you the Coach Q argument then for Quenville. Mm-hmm. So the, uh, the Panthers were fourth in point percentage in the league, fifth in goal differential. I think most impressively at 5-on-5, five five, they were third in expected goal share, fourth in high danger attempts. Uh, or sorry, seventh in high danger attempt share and fourth in shot share. And the reason why I like him for this award is because I can very clearly point to adjustments he made in terms of the start of the year. He splits up Barkov and Huberto. He incorporated all these new players from, you know, you go down the line, 
Radko Gudas, Alex Wenberg, Gustav Forslund, Carter Rehege, uh, Anthony Duclair, Patrick Hornquist, so on and so forth. They bring in Montour and Gusev and Bennett at the deadline, and he all of a sudden gets more out of them than we expected. Um, Jack Hahn wrote about this recently in terms of the system they're deploying, where they basically have unleashed their defensemen to just sprint up the ice and join the rush. And I, I think there's just a lot of things to point to there in terms of adjustments they made where we can look at the team they had last year. They obviously changed their personnel, but I don't think anyone would have looked at the personnel they brought in and went, wow, this is all of a sudden going to be a significantly better team for X, Y, and Z reasons. But they clearly made adjustments in terms of how they're using their line, like how they're splitting up their lines and how they're deploying them. And they clearly got more out of them than they did before. And, and so for me, uh, beyond the fact that they were obviously very successful in terms of where they finished in the standings, I feel more comfortable about the fact that we can actually point to something Quenville did as the reason why they were better. Yeah, this is how much I truly care about this award is I listen to that. I'm like, yeah, that all makes sense. I'm 100% on board. Um, Quenville for Jack Adams. I am with you on literally all of those things. Uh, I remember a few years ago when Gustav Forsling was like, if a team put him in the lineup, I would bet against that team because he was that bad. And he's on the top pair with Mackenzie Weger and crushing it. And if that's not on coaching, I don't know what it is. He turned Forsling into a stud. And that's been the same story for a lot of newcomers who didn't look that great on the teams they were on before. Um, you look at Sam Bennett, who looks mostly useless in Calgary and is suddenly a legitimate top six center in Florida. And all throughout the lineup, there are stories like that. And... I, I do have to imagine that Quenville is a big part of that. I The one name we didn't mention here, and I, I want to mention him because I don't want this podcast to be accused of anti-Pittsburgh bias, Mike Sullivan. I, I just think the organization's ability, like it's obviously a running joke, Mark Donk, Buzz Flibbit, ha ha ha. But all jokes aside, the organization's ability to deal with injuries time and time again and insert random players like my boy redeems the Horna and get results out of them and the fact that they finished first in the east i think you and i were both well yeah we were we were high on them before the season just because we felt like their defensive system uh would lead to good results this year but for them to finish the year first in the east after the start they had and everything they went through and kind of all the turmoil um was impressive to me and i do think like mike sullivan is on the higher end of coaches in terms of what he can get out of players and how he can basically work with whatever he's given yeah, for sure. I had him on my short list. I also had uh, Jared Bednar and Sheldon Keefe just because both those teams have just been incredible puck possession teams. And I think those are systems employed by the coaches that have made it so. I personally saw how terrible the Leafs looked under Babcock and it's night and day with Sheldon Keefe. And with Colorado, they had that insane run at one point where they were getting like 69% of the expected goals every nice. night. Yeah. So we gotta give I gotta give credit to Bednar for that. Obviously the lineup is stacked, but I think he plays a, a big role in them looking that good because they also dealt with injuries during that time frame and we're still chugging along at that high rate. Certainly. And I think just it's very clear there's organizational buy-in from top down in terms of the players they're targeting, how they're gonna use them and all that in terms of like the vision of, of what they expect from their team. So I'm with you there. All right, let's do the two big ones here. The Norris. <laughs> okay so where do you want to start with this one all right because i i do think um in terms of like considerations or people that shouldn't necessarily be top three but had awesome seasons as defensemen and deserve some sort of love like the list is 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 pretty long i think relatively it's speaking. really long yeah yeah um it's really long and i still would not have victor Hedman on it i'm gonna start there well, we need to, I think the context of, like, it's very clear, and it was reported recently by Chris Johnston, uh, yeah. that he's not playing any, like, he's not anywhere near 100%, and it's very yeah. clear. And so, uh, you know, I think we saw last postseason, for example, what, like, a healthy headman mm -hmm. can do and is capable of in terms of dictating the game. And I think people still have that in their minds, and we need to sort of differentiate that from the results he actually put on paper this season, because those two did not line up. Yeah. And until his injury, he definitely belonged in the conversation. Whether he was leading or not is up for debate. But him playing injured for a month definitely 
makes his case a lot worse this year. And it's admirable that he tried, I suppose, if you're one of those people, but he was not good for a month. And I think that does hurt his case where I don't think you can ignore the nine or 10 other defensemen who are much stronger this year and did it for the entire year. Yeah. Okay. So let's rattle off through these. These are names that I consider not necessarily that wound up in my top three, because there's obviously more than three names, but the people that I considered when I was compiling my list, mm-hmm. Kel McCarr, mm-hmm. Adam Fox, Charlie McAvoy, Dougie Hamilton, Shay Theodore, Darnell Nurse, Jacob Chikrin, Jeff Petrie, and then Adam Pellick. Mm-hmm. Am I missing anyone that deserves some sort of consideration for this award from that list? I had two others. Yep. Well, I had both Islanders defensemen because I think it's just difficult to separate that top pair. Um, I had a clear top four and then five I'm sort of wrestling with, but... I have Mackenzie Wegar just because ever since Eklad got injured, he legitimately has looked like one of the best defensemen in the league. Yep. And even before he got injured, he was certainly up there with how he played on that top pair. And then I have Devon Taves from Colorado because, I mean, Colorado's defense, that top three is insane and he's put up that value. And obviously some of that is playing with a strong team, but... I think he's worthy of consideration for the the season he's had. Yep. I'm with you there. Um, you know, it's funny. He's deserving of the award. I struggled with separating Pelic from Pulak. I do think in terms of who's driving a defense, it is Adam Pelic. I have canvassed various voters around the league and Adam Pelic will definitely get Norris votes. Not, not for first, but he will get love. And that's yeah. music to my ears and also uh, a testament to how far we've come in terms of yeah. our evaluation of the award and the position and which is awesome. I know people complain about that. We just sort by points and go that way, but there's clearly more nuance to it. And Adam Pellick getting top five votes this season, which he will from a lot of people is, is awesome. It is, it is amazing how far the movement has come along because if you suggested voting for a 10 point defenseman as a legitimate top five guy, like even like two or three years ago, you'd probably be laughed out of the room. And this time around, people are starting to pay attention to that stuff. They see what a incredible pair the Islanders have with him and Pulak and they're recognizing how much impact his defense brings to the Islanders and how much their identity is shaped around Adam Pellick and what he brings to the table. And he is definitely in consideration for me. I think I have a, a very clear top four and that fifth spot will probably keep me up for the next week. <laughs> think about who to put there. I, I'm not saying this guy should be in the top five, but I one of my favorite stats this season, the, the year Jacob Chikrin had is hilarious. Mm-hmm. Uh, for anyone that owned him in, in fantasy hockey, they probably are aware of this and and enjoyed it greatly and probably won championships in whatever league they played in. Um, but he scored 12% of the Arizona Coyotes total goals this season. I believe no other defenseman was even over 9%. I think Darnell Nurse was second at like eight point something. He took 28% of the Coyotes team shot attempts when he was on the ice. So they were basically straight up like peak Brent Burns style. Just like every time he was on the ice, it was just, okay, let's just give the puck to Jacob Chikrin and he's going to shoot and hopefully he'll score or he'll do something. And, you know, that's obviously a testament to both the team around him and the season he had himself. And I think, uh, you know, banking too much on individual shooting talent at that position is very risky in terms of prognosticating what the next years are going to look like for them. But just like in a vacuum this year he had offensively was uh, pretty remarkable. Like, I I just think like certainly kind of came out of nowhere. I was just like, wow, Jacob Chikrin was just doing everything for the Coyotes this season. Yeah, he he's not as high on the list for me, but he's definitely one of the guys that's next up and up for consideration just for how insane his goal-scoring prowess was. It seemed like every time I was watching Coyote's game, Jacob Chikrin was lining up for a slap shot and scoring. And he he was really fun to watch for that reason, but I think we both agree that you probably don't want that as your main strategy for a defenseman to say it's Jacob Chikrin time and taking 28% of the shots. A hundred percent. I agree. I just think that one game in particular that he had against the Anaheim Ducks where he had the hat trick with the overtime winner was one yeah. of the, the just 
best individual performances I saw in terms of like, what the hell is going on here? And, uh, so <laughs> I, I don't want to give some love and recognition to it, but yeah, certainly, um, risky, risky business for a team to be relying on that and, uh, not in the top five here. So give me your, give me the top four then that you have and let's work our way through that. I think it is very hard right now to separate Adam Fox and Kale McCarr. I've been obviously on the Adam Fox bandwagon all year, but I think his main advantage over Makar is he's played more games and Makar has been more impactful in the games he's played and sort of just balancing total value versus value per game. And I think the NBA has it right where they look at per game and how impactful a player was through that lens. Whereas hockey, it's all about the total tally. So it's going to be a tough decision between those two, but I think those are the firm top two. And then after them, I would say Dougie Hamilton, Shea Theodore for me. I'm interested to hear that you don't have uh, Charlie McAvoy higher. He is probably the best five on five defenseman in the league yeah. at the moment. And considering how many minutes he played with some random kid picked off off the street this year is remarkable. And I might think long and hard about putting him there because of that, but I think there is some merit to having value on the power play, which he does not bring to the table. And as much as that is a bit of a scam for defensemen, because it's easy to pick up power play value just by simply existing on the power play, the other four defensemen ahead of him have that while also being very strong at five on five as well. Yeah, no, I, I see where you're coming from. That I think it's fair. I, I just thought like, uh, Context-wise, in terms of what he was working with, both from a partner mm-hmm. perspective, but also like they used 13 defensemen this year because they had a bunch of injuries as well. And so they were just cycling through guys and he was really the only constant. I believe he played like almost five minutes more than any other regular, uh, Bruins defenseman this season and, uh, and didn't let his underlying numbers suffer at all. In fact, they were remarkable. As you said, he was probably the best five on five defenseman in the league. So. I wanted to give him some love, but, but yeah, in terms of like these top three to five, you're, you really are, you have to nitpick, right? Because there's mm-hmm. such good players. And if one is comparable at five on five, but then adding significantly more special teams value, then we need to consider that. Yeah. And I, I was actually just writing my Bruins caps preview. So I have the numbers fresh in my mind, but McAvoy did play a lot with Matt Grizzlick this year. And yep. that helped with his strong numbers because that was probably one of the best pairs this season. But even when he was without Grizzlick, McAvoy still had a 55% XG this year, which is insane when you realize that that is a lot of Jeremy Lawson moments. Yeah, some Urho Vakanainen in there as well. Yeah, yeah, exactly. Um, okay, so Makara versus Fox, uh, because I do agree that they're they're the top two. With Makara, I struggle because I think that his A-plus game is the best I saw from any defenseman this season. Mm-hmm. Like His ability to just control a game all over the ice is unbelievable. And... I think we also need to separate ourselves from like, because he's going to be doing ridiculous stuff in this postseason coming up here. And it's going to be a lot of, Oh my God, can you believe this guy? People think this guy isn't his best defenseman and it is a regular season award. So we need to say that up front. Um, The 42 games is, is, you know, it provides less value for his team compared to what Fox played. Uh, But when he was on the ice, like, do we agree that he was the best defenseman? I, I think so, when he was. Uh, the one argument in Fox's favor is that he plays some of the absolute toughest minutes in the league, and Makar does not, yep. to my knowledge. Yep. Um, so that is one consideration that helps make Makar look better. But, I mean, when he was on the ice, he's the best defenseman in the league. I don't think there's a question about that. Yeah, the fact that the Habs are just like in the 60s in terms of all of their on-ice shares if I won five with them on the ice is, is pretty ridiculous. But yeah, I think if you're if you're comparing what they have to work with, like what Fox did was pretty crazy as well. And I think, uh, like, I don't care that his team didn't make the playoffs. It was obviously a very unique circumstance, first and foremost, and they would have made it in any other division. But even beyond that, it doesn't ultimately matter because this is an individual award in a team sport. And so there's only so much any one defenseman can do. And what Fox did was right up there with what any other defenseman did. So, um, yeah, it's, it's basically a coin flip between those two for me. Yeah, for sure. Um, all right. Well, then let's go to the heart. Let's, let's, uh, let's wrap this thing up there. Um, it's, it's Cotter McDavid's world and we're all just living in it, right? Like, I, 
I think Matthews is pretty clearly second. And then I think there's a very interesting discussion for how you round out the finalists with, with who's third there. And there's some really good candidates and names, but I, I just don't understand. I know you, you were tweeting about this as well. I, I really do not get, uh, people's desire to see a player get a hundred points in 53 games or whatever he did. And their instant reaction to be, Oh, how can I discredit this in some way? Like, how are you not just enjoying? what we're seeing both in terms of the production and also how he's getting it in terms of like him being able to do stuff physically on the ice that we have never seen before because he's an absolute freak. Am I allowed to surround this podcast? Yeah, just go for it. Yeah. All right. To anyone discrediting Connor McDavid's season this year for any reason whatsoever, shut the fuck up (laughs) and turn your TV off. Don't watch hockey more. Go do something else because this is, one of the greatest hockey seasons ever that you're witnessing and your first instinct is to be a gigantic baby about it what do you, what's the point what are you doing here yeah like why are you why are you following hockey and <laughs> caring about it if you can't get excited about this and if, if not even get excited about this if you don't care about it for whatever reason like if you're a flames fan and you're upset about it i get it mm-hmm. there's no need just move on just scroll down your timeline or just Start, just close your Twitter. Log off. Like I, so he has a thirty-plus point lead on anyone that hasn't shared the ice with him this season. He has eighty-two primary points. Next best are Drysaddle with fifty-nine, and then Matthews and Marshawn with fifty-five. He has a primary point on forty-six point one percent of all Oilers' goals this season since two thousand and seven. That is easily the best that we have access to. I think Ovi, when he scored sixty-five goals, had forty-two point four. And McDavid in 2018, 19 at 42% as well. So it's just unparalleled. And, and in terms of the arguments against it and trying to discredit it, it's like, Oh, let's see him do this first, the rest of the league. Well, what did we see him do from basically 2015 to 2020 when he scored more points than anyone else in the league while playing against every other team? Like, I, I don't, this isn't some one year aberration. I mean, in terms of the degree to what he did on a points per game basis, sure. But it, acting as if this isn't some all-time great that is just having a remarkable season, like we've seen him have success against everyone around the league. I really don't see, view that as an argument against it. People are so sure that the North Division is the worst division, and I just I don't see how they get to that argument. Um, uh, we've yet to have you have you seen any statistical argument that that is even remotely true? Like beyond maybe shaving off a handful of points, let's say. Like it, it really seems like, yeah, they might be a little bit worse defensively, but not to the point mm-hmm. where all of a sudden we're taking 25 to 30 points off of his total and kind of making him closer to the pack. It'll be like three points at most. I mean, if he was in the West Division, there are five awful teams in there. What do you think he'd do there? He'd do the same thing. If he was in the East, he got to play Buffalo eight times. He's getting like 40 points against Buffalo alone, probably. Like, I just don't understand the the galaxy braining regarding McDavid. Just enjoy the greatness. Yeah. Oh, there's been so much galaxy braining. There's been a lot. I tweeted out how like he had three or four points in pretty much all like nine of his last ten games or something. And there mm-hmm. was a lot of, oh well, he's gonna lose in round one or two of the playoffs. It's like, what does that have anything <laughs> to do with this accomplishment? Like this is what he's doing is just remarkable and I am personally enjoying it and I would recommend everyone does as well because it's very cool. I have never watched so many Oilers games in my life. I've watched all of them, I think. <laughs> like anytime the Oilers are on, I'm like, I'm tuning in. I'm watching Connor. He's, he's so good. He's so fun to watch too. Like every goal is a good time. Yeah, he is, as a wise man once said, he's a freak. He's the fastest kid alive. <laughs> I certainly, every other division had three really, really bad teams, right? Like New Jersey, yeah. Buffalo, Philly, Anaheim, LA, San Jose, Columbus, Chicago, Detroit. He would have feasted on all those teams. He might not have 102 or three points or whatever he has now, but he certainly would have been running away with a scoring title. And I think, uh, I think that's all there needs to be said about that. So then we get into how we round this out. And I think. We both agree that Matthews, you know, in a normal year, him scoring 40 goals in 50 games or whatever he's played so far would easily be the leading story and be, uh, you know, 
the focus of everything, but just because of what McDavid's done, it isn't, but it, it's good enough to get him second. How do we round this out? Give me like your three, four, five in terms of the names you're considering and, and who uh, we should consider as the most valuable players for the team. I'm a little shocked. Nathan McKinnon is flying under the radar this year. I, I would think he's a slam dunk for number three and that would round things out nicely because I think before the season started, most people would have thought McDavid, McKinnon, Matthews are going to be the three best players this year. And I thought that they were. And maybe it's because of the team he plays on. But I mean, his five on five impacts were incredible. He had a ton of points. He was right up there. And he's just as exciting, not just as exciting, but he's also extremely exciting to watch as well. And I think he should be right there behind McDavid and Matthews. And after that, that's where it gets a bit tricky for me. Um, you can make a legitimate case for the line mates for those three players with Miko Randon, Mitch Marner, and Leon Dreisaitl. Uh Brad Marchand was amazing for Boston this year. Alex Barkov did it all for Florida as well. And I think those are the five I would be considering for the final two spots. But I think McKinnon is a slam dunk for me behind the top two. Yeah, I think part of it might just be expectations because he was so ridiculous in the postseason to the point where mm-hmm. we went like a bit overboard in terms of proclaiming him as the best player in the world. And then he started off relatively slow compared to those outside outsized expectations. But yeah, he had a 15 to 20 game stretch there where he was like putting up 1.75 points per game or something. And his season totals are absurd. I think, yeah, it's, it's a little tough to separate him from just how good the abs have been across the board and maybe that might hurt Makar a little bit in the Norris discussion as we talked about as well where the team around them is so good that when we especially when we're trying to fill out the rest of this I think people will want to give a lot of love to you know Sidney Crosby for getting the Penguins into into first place uh, in the east or you know Mark Stone for the year he had or, or, or Sasha Barkov as we talked about in the Selkie so I think that's where people are coming from with going McDavid Matthews 1-2 and then trying to pencil someone else in the third that uh, it was perceived to kind of be carrying a lesser supporting cast. Yeah, and I, I do get that argument. For me, it's most valuable means most value. And McKinnon was the third most valuable to me. I don't care if Rantanen was just as good. I don't care if McCarr was a Norris-worthy player. It doesn't matter to me that those things happened. I don't care how deep the abs are. McKinnon was the driving force for that team, and... I do recall the McKinnon conversation for the season, how he might be the best player in the world. And I am genuinely grateful for those conversations happening because I don't think we would have got the McDavid season we did without them. I think pettiness drives top players so much. And McDavid saw the conversations. He saw his teammate win the Hart Trophy and the Art Rose Trophy the year, the year before. He was a man on a mission and mission accomplished at this point because there should be no doubt that he's the best and that's that that's that yeah yeah i think that's fair all right um let's get out of here i think we we covered everything um that was fun hopefully people feel a bit of uh closure on the regular season and we can now shift towards the playoffs and and get excited about that and look forward to that so i'll let you plug some stuff uh in that vein what are what have you been working on and where can people check out your work and give us all that good stuff? Uh, right now I'm writing playoff previews for every single series as I usually do. Uh, nice little 3000 word deep dive on how good each team is, the players, the season stats, the matchups this year, which I think are really interesting because we're getting a, a decent size sample on how teams play against each other. And it's a nice primer before the playoffs start, especially for fans who only paid attention to their division this year. Mm. All right, that's going to be it for today's episode of the Hockey PDO Cast. As always, it was a blast to pick Dom's brain on stuff. Uh, love having him on the show because of that. I think he is one of the most thoughtful people in the game. And hopefully we delivered with today's conversation. Hopefully you enjoyed it and got something useful from it. Uh, I think there's a lot more to the uh, the words conversation beyond just who we think is going to win. I love uh, actually kind of getting into what the what the awards actually entail and, and sort of what we should be looking for and how we should be evaluating all the candidates involved. And so hopefully we covered all that. And ultimately, like where I, where I stand on this is there's just so much stuff to juggle and consider right now in terms of 
there being a ridiculous amount of talent in the league right now and we're blessed in that regard and there's a ton of players having seasons worth celebrating and so um you know you can't really go wrong in a lot of cases and and that's a good thing uh if you liked what you heard from us today please take a minute to leave us a quick little rating and review a lot of you've done so already and each one is greatly appreciated if you haven't yet it's really easy to do and it helps us a lot so thank you in advance for doing so now we can shift our sights to the postseason which is set to start this coming weekend and we're going to have some previews on the podcast here uh, coming up really soon to get you ready for that and highlight some of the matchups and what to look for and all that stuff so those are some of my favorite shows to do every year and hopefully we're going to be able to uh, have some fun with it so look out for that coming on the feed very shortly all right man well this was a blast i'm glad we got to do this and uh i'm sure we'll have you on sometime soon down the road so enjoy until then uh enjoy the playoffs and we'll chat soon you as well thanks for having me Follow on Twitter at Dim Filipovich and on SoundCloud at soundcloud.com slash hockey PDOcast. <laughs> <laughs>